Okay, we are back on a Wednesday. It is January 10th of 2024. And I have been a father since 1999. Today is my oldest child's birthday. So I've been a, I've been a dad for 25 years. So we are in the book of Joshua, and we are at chapter 7. We've had a great victory at Jericho, and I hope we haven't become overconfident, but unfortunately we have. You'll notice that in, in life, when you have a great victory, sometimes you are humbled very quickly by a defeat. Football teams <laughs> have that happen to them from time to time. And <clears throat> we always need to be very watchful after a victory. Keep your guard up after a victory. So, uh, in chapter 7, we read, uh, I guess, a pretty good ways through 7. And I think we were somewhere over around 12 when we stopped last week. It was kind of a no, no good ending place last week. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the beginning of chapter 7, and we'll maybe skip through some of this that we've already read and then try to get over to where we need to pick up. But there's, there's several things we need to think about. And we talked a little bit about Achan, because Achan was the one person who disobeyed in the victory at Jericho. And he's a very important character in the Bible that we really need to think about. And the little heading in my Bible says, The Sin of Achan, yeah, at, right there at chapter 7. And notice it says, um, at the very end of chapter 6, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Wow. This, you know, big news. And Joshua is way up here. Everybody's going to be talking about him. And then the first word of chapter 7, but. When you see but, when you're reading scripture, take notice. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, Joshua, in, in chapter, uh, verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho, to Ai, and what happens is they go up to view the country, and so they went up, and, and they're looking around, and they came back to Joshua, and they, and they were underestimating this little city called Ai, and they were like, don't send but two or 3,000. We don't need that many people to go up there. Because this is going, I mean, they're looking at, at what they've done, but they're for really quickly forgetting that God gave them the victory at Jericho. It wasn't them. 
And now they're looking more to themselves and they're kind of not looking to what God is wanting them to do. And the reason I say that is, is because as you read through this, God's going to end up giving them instruction. They should have asked for it before. Uh, Joshua was out by himself before the victory at Jericho, and he runs into the Lord. And he bows himself down. He's worshiping the Lord, and he gets detailed instructions. So sometimes when things are going good, we tend to forget to pray. You know, we're, we're more negative-minded people, and pain and suffering seems to get us focused more, and we wonder why we go through pain and suffering. Because sometimes that's what God has to do to get us to turn to Him. Because when everything's going great, we pray less. But when things are tough, we pray more. Why can't we remember to pray more when things are going good? We need to learn that. All right, so we know that they sent the 3,000, they go up to the city. We don't even get any kind of, uh, you know, what's going on in the battle, how they did this, that, the other. It's just that they turned and ran and got whipped. Ran in fear, and 30, I think it was 36 men died. 30 and 6 men, and they got chased. And then Joshua, when he hears about it, he rent his clothes, fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, I'm in 6, go down to uh, verse 9. And there, he said, uh, for the Canaanites, so basically he's saying, look, he, he's complaining that now things are really going to fall apart. And he, and he says, uh, oh, in verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round or surround us round remember your environment is your surroundings and cut off our name from the earth and what wilt thou do unto thy great name so then God tells him look Israel hath sinned I don't they were such a there was a Many, many people, and one person sinned, but God said, Israel hath sinned. So when you have a group of people, you know, we are called the body of Christ, and each one of us is a member. Like, your body is all together, right? And it works together. So we're described in the Bible as the body of Christ, Him being the head, and, and so if he's the head, we're the body, we have to go and do things for the Lord. We have feet that walk us to the places he's telling us to go, hands that do the works, the service that we need to do. We speak, we see, we hear, and we, we do the speaking for the Lord. Um, there's all kinds of things that are attached, 
And if one part of our body gets injured, the rest of the body feels for it. If an infection gets into your body, and let's say it only gets into one part of your body, well, guess what? It starts to work its way, and it can go all the way through your body and eventually kill you. Those things happen. So if we allow an infection to get into the body of Christ, chances are it's not going to stay, and that one little spot is going to start to work its way through the whole body. So we have to be very careful about infections, or uh, in other words, letting sinful things in and be a part of the body. We have to, we have to be um, on watch, on guard for it, and be watching for that. So, because if only one sins, God's going to look down and say, that church sinned. So we have to be careful. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. So God's telling them, you have to destroy that thing. Get it out. All right, so what... How can we apply that to, because we're not going to go kill people, right? We're not going to find a sinner in the church and, and eliminate them. You know, we don't do that. But we, we do have to remember that if this really is talking about taking something out of the world and, and, and being uh, trying to incorporate a worldly idea with godly ideas because it will make worldly people happier and more accepting of us. You know, we're seeing it more and more as time goes on that churches become more worldly so they'll be accepted and liked. Everybody wants to be liked. So we start to compromise on what the Word says and we become more likable but is God happy with that? He is going to become more angry with us. Now, I'm, I'm talking about being a church, an organization. We call ourselves a church and part of the body of Christ. We have to have God's standards in mind and not worry too much about what the world thinks of us because the world is not going to be happy with us if we follow God's ways. So if we try to take something and incorporate it into what we're supposed to be doing, that is worldly, it's not going to work. God's going to, God is going to get out of it. He's not going to lead us and help us anymore if we're that way, if we, keep, if we, if we have worldly things. So I think the things that Achan took, and not only just because he took something out of Jericho, that was their first victory in the land of Canaan, and God gets the first fruits. So he had already told them, don't take anything.
all they had to do was wait until they got victory at Ai and he could have taken whatever he wanted. So thinking about that one person who sinned, in Ecclesiastes 9.18 it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Thinking about the uh, people having great victory in Jericho and going up to spy out Ai, think about them. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Now, if, if, uh, if Achan would have been obedient and, uh, and not taken of the accursed thing, he, we, think about Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So don't think about what you get out of it right away. First, think of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put things in their proper order. Also, something to think about. Matthew, the book of Matthew, I just read something about a kingdom. It says kingdom of God. Do you know that in Matthew, it's almost exclusively kingdom of heaven, Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. 32 times kingdom of heaven is mentioned in the Bible. All in Matthew. The only book of the whole Bible that says kingdom of heaven. So what I just read to you out of Matthew says kingdom of God. And there's five times in Matthew where it's spoken, kingdom of God. Now, kingdom of God is mentioned 69 times in the New Testament. And uh, seven times in Acts. But I don't want to get too much into that. I talked about a lot, that a lot at, last night at uh, the jail. Um, but I just, it just popped into my mind because there's only five chances of getting kingdom of God out of Matthew, and that's one of them right here. We'll talk about the differences some other time here. But uh, so, all right, where was I at? Uh, 13. This is uh, Joshua 7, 13, back to our regular reading. So he says, you got to destroy the accursed from among you. And then 13 says, up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken 
with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of Zaharites, the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the, to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Now, you know, we don't get... It's like, you know, your sin is going to find you out sooner or later is basically what you get out of this. Because how do they know? It's, it's, it's basically God is picking out, and, and he's the one that's going to show the sin, and finally it gets to the point where Achan is singled out, and there's really not much else he can do but say, yep, you figured it out, you got me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When, notice, when I saw, when I saw among the spoils, hey, there's, there's his first mistake. It's not spoils. You were told before you ever went into the city that it's not spoils. Because spoils means you can get it. A goodly Babylonish garment, that's what he saw, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. First he saw, and then we'll see, after 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. He starts to desire them. First he saw... Then he desired, and then he took them. First you see, then you covet, then you take. That's how it works. Now last week I read um, James 1, 14 and 15. I'll read it again this week. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Because we all have that problem. We all have flesh. We all have eyes. You know, let me finish reading this verse. Of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Last week, I made mention of King David. King David saw Bathsheba, then he started to covet her, and then he took her. We can go all the way back to Genesis. Eve saw the fruit, then she desired it, and then she took it. 
She desired it because it makes one wise. It, it, she wanted to be like the gods. She was told that, you know, yeah, God's great and all, but he's hiding something from you. And if you just eat from that, you'll figure it all out. And boy, did she. She saw, she desired it, and she took it. David saw, desired, and took. Achan, he saw, he admitted it with his own words. I saw, I coveted, I took, and behold, they are hid, talking about the things he took, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. So he made confession. He told them exactly where it was at, where they would find it. So probably going to get a pretty good plea deal, right? Let's keep reading. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Them. So, all of his animals, all his sons, his daughters, Achan's the one that sinned. Well, they took, you know, sometimes we, we get into sin and we think it just hurts us, it's just hurting us. It's just me. But I've told the guys at the jail many years ago, I remember going through Joshua and talking to them and, and I was looking at them and I said, you know, you might say that, you know, your sin is just affecting you, but I said, do you have loved ones that are worried about you? Do you have children that don't have a father at home? You know, what are they going through? They're not, they're not being raised the way they, they should be. Your sin doesn't affect just you. It affects those who love you, those who need you. <clears throat> so no plea deal. Pretty harsh. 26, and they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so the Lord turned from his fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. So don't underestimate the things that we have um, to deal with in our Christian walk. And there are things that we are instructed to do as Christians. And we obey the Word of God, and we do those things. And just because you are a saved, born-again child of God, and you're walking this Christian life, doesn't mean you're going to not have things that are going to test you, and victories you'll win, and then disappointments and failures in your Christian walk. And they will be based on whether you 
obey God and trust in his ways and not follow your own way, you know, and you, can, you can lose a lot. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're, you're gonna, you can lose a lot in this, in this Christian walk. And I've seen it. And whether the people that I've seen were really saved or not, it's not me to judge. And that's not for me to judge. Um, I can make a judgment to myself and say, well, I doubt they were ever saved because they would have never done that terrible sin. But, hey, if King David can do what he did, who am I to say that person wasn't saved? So if they were, and they're, they're a leader in the church, and they do a terrible sin like King David did with Bathsheba, and the people who are affected by that, the children in the church that were very close to the situation, they didn't want to go to church anymore. And they went out and, and were worldly people, and who could blame them after going through something that bad? <clears throat> so you lose things. You know, Abraham, he disobeyed God, went into Egypt, and lied, and almost lost his wife, Jonah, just one person, Jonah, was disobeying, going in the total opposite, complete opposite direction God was telling him to go. And a whole ship almost sank in a storm because of that one person's sin. And the evil Gentile guys were scared that, that his blood, innocent blood would be on their hands if they threw him overboard. And they were almost willing to go down. And they were Gentiles. They were not godly people, but, but had a conscience and knew that they shouldn't kill an innocent person. And Jonah's like, throw me over. <laughs> and they did, finally. They didn't want to, but they threw him, and he hit that water, and that whale swallowed him up, and the sea just was calm as it could be. And they were like, whew, we almost, we almost went down because of that guy. One person. <clears throat> and look what havoc can be caused by one person going the opposite of what God is telling them to do. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> he touched the accursed thing. He took the accursed thing. So, turn, let's turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> I don't think I read this last week, did I? Does it sound familiar? Sometimes I forget to, uh, you know, exactly what I... Because when you're studying stuff and you go over things and you think you've already done it, maybe, I don't know. You know sometimes it's hard to keep track. And, and, and I might not say certain things that I think I've already said it because I've already thought it, I've already studied it, I've already read it. <coughs> I can be reading something to you tonight and go, this sounds so familiar. It's because I've already read it. And I think I've already read it to you, and I'm repeating myself. So 2 Corinthians, and it won't, if, I, if I did read it, it's not going to hurt to read it again, right? <laughs> I don't think I did. But in 2 Corinthians, starting with chapter 6, verse 14. Everybody there? 2 Corinthians 6, 14. And we'll read uh, down to 7, 1. It's not very much. 
be ye, be ye, each and every one of you, unequally, or be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are, notice, for ye are the temple of the living God. Each and every one of us, if we are, in fact, a true believer, then our bodies are the temple for the Holy Spirit, the living God, to dwell in us. So, so what agreement hath the temple of God, you, and idols? If you have idols, you, you are defiling the temple defiling it. You expect God to hang out in a defiled temple? As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This, that, sounds like he's, that sounds like something you would see in the Old Testament talking about a temple and and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Well, this is New Testament. And, and we can be grafted into those special chosen people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Any unbelievers or infidels, come out from among them, and be ye separate saith the Lord. Now notice this next part. And touch not the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing. That's what Achan did when he went into Jericho. He took of the accursed thing. So we're being instructed here in the New Testament. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's talking to saved people. Now, if I focus on this and I hammer this and I preach on this, somebody will say that, <clears throat> some critic out there would say that I was preaching a, a lordship salvation. I'm not talking about salvation. You're already saved. You're believers. And after you're a believer, after you're saved, you can make some very bad decisions and you can touch the unclean thing, you can actually allow yourself to be tempted. You will see, you'll covet, and you'll take it. And it could cause you to die. You won't be taken out of the kingdom. Now, I can show you some scriptures in Matthew 
that say that you will be taken out of the kingdom and thrown into, into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it's kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God. You must understand the difference. There are a lot of churches out there or denominations that are very work-oriented to stay in the faith. And I understand why they're like that because they, most of them don't understand the difference. They don't understand when Matthew is talking about kingdom of heaven. It's not really Matthew. It's the Lord speaking through Matthew who's writing it down. And, and Jesus uh, John the Baptist is talking about kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus talked about kingdom of heaven. And then, right as he's about to be taken, he's, remember Jesus saying, I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. But then there's a certain point where he's telling them to go out into all the Gentiles. It's like, what changed? Well, the kingdom of heaven was nigh unto them. And he finally gets to the point where they, he, he knows they're not going to accept him as king and that the kingdom of heaven is going to be, take the violent will take it and the violent... Uh, look, look at Matthew, turn to Matthew 11. Turn back to Matthew 11 and I'm going to show you something. Matthew eleven twelve says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, if you were to open uh, an NIV, a 1984 edition NIV that might, might even be in your pew, and I hate to admit that on the podcast, you know, people listening in, y'all have NIVs in your church? Well, I, I wanted them to stay around. We got mostly King James Bibles on our pews, but I said, no, I kind of want those NIVs because there's sometimes, if you, if you have an 84 edition of it, which that's what's in our church, if, it, if there's one here, it's an 84, it changes that. It changes it to where it doesn't say that at all. It's the total opposite of what it says right here. But then they ended up fixing it in a newer, a later version of the Bible of their of their of their uh, NIV, and they put it back like this, and they just have notes around it. But I want you to pay attention that there here's this is a very good example of what I'm talking about, where you need to know the difference because it's the kingdom of heaven that was taken by violent force. Can the kingdom of God be taken by violence? Impossible. It's impossible for the kingdom of God to be taken by violent force. <clears throat> Jesus and John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and right here, that kingdom was taken by force because it's a physical kingdom. They were expecting... Jesus to go to the throne and deliver them from Roman oppression. Their prophets had told them that was going to happen. That's who your Messiah is going to be. And when he was able to be taken by force and nailed to a cross, 
and killed, they said, well, that must not have been him. But they were blinded. They didn't even, they didn't even pay attention to their own scriptures that Moses wrote about Joseph way back in Genesis. They didn't understand that they were blinded that Jesus himself had come down from heaven and was right before them, and they looked right at him and could not figure out who he was. Just like Joseph being sold into slavery, he's down in Egypt, all his brothers come down to buy food, they walk right up to him, they're looking at him and cannot tell that he is their brother. Joseph came unto his own brothers and they received him not, just like Jesus came down to earth, came unto his own, and his own received him not. And they didn't see it right here. And they killed him, which opened up. That, Jesus going to the cross, shedding his blood, that was the intention of it all. And one day in the future, when Jesus, we, you know, we're in that age of able to, this past Sunday's message, you have not seen, which is wonderful. Because you have to be, uh, you, to get into the kingdom of God, it's by faith. You haven't seen, but you believe it anyway. You're more blessed than Thomas because Thomas saw it and believed. But we have not seen it, and we believe anyway, and we're more blessed than him. So we're living in that age where we can believe through faith, and that's going to end one day. One day, we're going to get to a point where it's all revealed. Like Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers after Joseph had sent all the Egyptians out. All the Gentiles were sent out. I think when all the born-again believers, all the Gentiles, all the people who are in the kingdom of God, and they get raptured out of here, and then Jesus is going to show himself to his people, their eyes are going to be open, and they're going to fall down on their knees... And they're going to say, it is him. And we turned him over to be crucified. And whatever he's going to do to us, we deserve it. Go ahead. And he's going to say, like Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have made us suitable to dwell, to be the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who would want to sanctify ourselves, to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, that we would be wanting to be clean and holy, set apart, to be the temple that you dwell in. And Father, with you inside of us, we can do amazing things. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will go out and do the things that you called us to do because we have confidence that we have you leading us and helping us in everything that we do. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.